Welcome to Inner Peace to Go, your source for practical, proven strategies to reduce stress and make life easier. I'm your host, Sandy Cohen, and I am so glad you're here. Let's dig in. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Inner Peace to Go. Thank you so much for being here. Before we get into the conversation today with my guest, Heather McMahon, who's a licensed mental health counselor and a coach and the host of the Creating You podcast, I wanted to let you know that I have space to take one-on-one coaching clients. You know, I love doing this work. I love walking beside you as you create your best life and as you find your own inner peace, which is so much more accessible than we think. So if you're interested in that, please reach out to me. I would love to chat with you. And speaking of inner peace being so much closer than we realize, that's really what I came away with with this conversation with Heather. You know, we talked about how easy it is to overcomplicate our need for wellness and escape. And we do all need wellness, but so often it feels like, ah, you know, I mean, this might be just me, but it feels like things are really dramatic and intense and it's going to take some major overhaul of my entire life in order to feel happier again or to feel ease or to release some of the stress that we feel. And what Heather talks about in this episode is really how much it is more about small practices, about the little things, about our attention and noticing what our thoughts are doing and intervening before they go like a runaway train. And these little practices can make a really big difference. And that's great news because so many of these practices are things that any ordinary person can do. We can do it. And that is wonderful news. So in this conversation, we also talk about how gender roles shape our emotional expression and the tendency for people socialized as women to really overgive, to give to the point of total depletion. We talk about how to deal with unwelcome and unhelpful thoughts. Heather explains this concept of waterfall thinking and how thoughts pile onto one another and then you're under the waterfall. She discusses the importance of cultivating what she calls a wellness mindset, which is easier to do than we think. She also offers a few quick fixes that can shift our mindset almost instantly. And these are powerful things any of us can do. And you're going to want to stick around to hear it because it's so enlightening to remember, oh yeah, I could feel so much better. So it gives me great delight to introduce Heather McMahon. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Sandy. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited for this conversation. We've been wanting to have it for a long time. So you have such a unique and really heartfelt blend of skills in that you're a licensed clinical mental health counselor, a licensed drug and alcohol counselor, and a coach and a podcaster. Can you talk about the journey that brought you here? Wow. Okay. So I was born in, no, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) My ancestors came from. (laughs) Right. Oh gosh. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited. I've, I love watching your um, content and and listening to your podcast inner peace to go is so good. Um, So my journey, I really, I have reiterated myself, new iterations of myself throughout the years. I started in a high school, like I started working when I was 12. So I've always had the, I want to do this thing and I go do the thing. And that had been um, really easy for me for a long time. And then in my twenties, I sort of lost that and didn't have the same confidence of, I can do whatever I want. 
some stuff happened. And then I kind of around 40, I really started to say, who am I? Who do I want to be? What does that even look like? Do I even know what flavor ice cream I like anymore? Right. And I found my way into a master's program later in life. I didn't do this. This is not a linear, easy journey from graduating high school, college done. This was, this took me a long time. And then just worked with so many different populations and realized, wow, I really like this. I'm going to do this. And then I opened a private practice 10, 12 years ago and now doing the private practice coaching and in my fifties have learned to captivate myself, my heart, my journey, my passions, and really just dive in deep. I love it. And I love what you said about not knowing what flavor ice cream you like. Cause I do feel like that happens to us. Like we get so, so I don't know if it's like a, it's like a water slide or something. It's like, we're just following the way Oh, I, now I need to do this. And now I'm doing that. And then somewhere along the way, we, we lose clarity on who we are, what really matters. What do you think happens that leads us to, I mean, and you talked about it a little bit too, sort of losing this courage to be like, oh, this is what I'm into. So we don't just lose clarity on what we like or what fires us up. We lose the courage to go after it. We kind of lose our gumption. What is that about? For me as a woman and a mom and the only sister of seven brothers and all these other messaging from society or the other messages from family, society, all of it, pour into others. That's all you're supposed to do and be. You're just, that's your role, no matter what, whether it's work, home, family. And that became the identity and the, the conversation in my mind. And I know that to be true for a lot of women that I work with and particularly professionals, the more that's expected of them, the less they do for themselves. It's counterintuitive, but it's true. Well, right. And it's like, they're not going to let anything fall through the cracks for anybody else. Meanwhile, their whole self falls through the cracks. Absolutely. Right. Right. And what is like, what can we do about this? Is there a way, because I feel like my own experience is, is similar in that I was like, go, go, go success. Success is the measure of like achievement in life. And if you have success, then everything else is terrific. And of course, then you like work your ass off and find out that's not true. And then then that sucks. Um, What can we do either to catch ourselves along the way or when we notice what's going on, then what should we do? It starts for most people. And I know for me with someone else speaking into my life and saying, hey, this is what I observe. You're not right, as happy, or as some of the other things, you're not getting together with us, or any of those sort of behavioral observations that people were making. So I think surrounding yourself with people you trust who speak into your life that can see when you've shifted and whether or not your fullness is there um, is, I think, really important. Oh, yeah, for sure. What I I ended up with depression and it felt like I had this like flu where I couldn't get out of bed. And it wasn't until it got to that point that I like tried to get help. And by then I was absolutely terrified because then I was like, oh my God, maybe something's wrong with my brain. I need my brain for my job. Like this is a disaster. And, and I felt very alone. And once I got into therapy and treatment and everything else, I was like, dang, you know, if I would have known that these were the warning signs or that this was something that could be helped, then I could have gotten help so much sooner. And I feel like we sort of Maybe it's us as women, or maybe it's just the society. Like we we assume that 
this is how it is. No, everybody feels like this. Yes. And we talk so much about anxiety and depression and it's almost becoming white noise that people don't really understand how difficult it is. We label everything as anxiety. Oftentimes, not all of us, but oftentimes people will label things as anxiety where it could be excitement or it could be anticipation or it could be all these other things. But if we only call it anxiety, we only let our body and mind feel the anxiety. And for my story, having some anxiety and depression in the past that drove me to some really unhelpful and unhealthy behaviors that I couldn't tell anyone. And then going into the field of psychology, I certainly couldn't have this, this problem myself, right? Which is, I'm sorry, doctors and surgeons don't treat themselves. They go and have someone else tend to their physical health for them. So I learned in my own journey and therapy and all those other things, uh, none of us completely arrive. We are all a journey and a, you know, a work in progress. It's a trite saying, but it's so true. But yeah, the, if you don't know that you don't know, we don't know what we don't know. Right. Right. You know, it just made me, when you just said that made me think of Michelle Obama's title of her book, the first book, Becoming, because it's like, we're always continually becoming. And you look at Michelle Obama, someone who's like, well, she's got it together. You know, she's like a Harvard law grad and all this other stuff and first lady. But if she's still becoming, certainly we can all still be becoming. Great example. Absolutely. Right. No matter what your role in life is, career wise, otherwise, you're the one that gets to define success for you. And if we only hear what others have defined as success, including our mental health, physical health, we lose sight of it. So I think it's really important to figure out what you don't know right? Ask the questions, read the books, listen to the podcasts, all of that, and, and do that exploration outwardly and inwardly. Yeah. And you know, it makes me think when you were talking about the kind of messaging that we as women get, I'm reading one of Louise Hayes books right now, and it's about women sort of defining their, their scope and, and not being limited to what society has told us. But it also makes me think about men because they too while they've been obviously in this dominant position in our patriarchal society, they too have limitations. Like you can never feel anything other than like anger. Um, you, you have to like provide, even if your partners, you're equal. So it seems too, that even though their messaging is different in many ways, it could be just as limiting. Absolutely. And that's so insightful to talk about, to know, to acknowledge um, having seven brothers and seeing how they were brought up as men, how I was brought up as a fe the female in the family, just that small culture of your family of origin speaks to it. But then, yes, absolutely, the, the flow of messaging from society and otherwise. And if we, I always think about how we treat um, kids before age six, right? Preschool and kindergarten, the boys are allowed to play dress up. They can play in the kitchen with the girls. They can even just these role messaging moments. Um, but then once first grade hits, there's this deep, deep chasm of you're this and you're this and the twain shall never meet. And that's so sad to watch. And as an early childhood educator in my earlier life, I saw that and it was devastating. And then I saw the effects through grade school, high school, college, working with all those populations. It's really hard to undo. Yeah, that's it just made me think of a memory when uh, it, this was like at a Passover Seder when my nephew must have been like two or three. And so my niece would have been five. 
and someone had given my niece this ballerina set and it had like a, a skirt and a um like a scepter and these little sandals that had marabou fur on them and my nephew loved the sandals loved them and insisted on wearing them and he was also wearing like a, a football jersey like <laughs> so he's wearing this like football jersey which was clearly a football jersey and then he was wearing these marabou sandals and we were trying to get them off of him so she could wear like the entire outfit he would not part with the sandals <laughs> and and nobody like had a judgment on it it was just like these are kids having fun with this little ballerina kit so it's so interesting i mean He's very masculine now and into weightlifting and sports and all this stuff. But it, and as you were saying that, I was picturing him running around in these little sandals. <laughs> hey, to nurture that, to nurture that if they if they have a feeling. I, it, there's actual science behind how we hold male babies, infants, and female infants. And we hold, if we know it's a boy, what they did was they wrapped babies in either a blue blanket or a pink blanket. So you already had your bias at play. And if you thought you were holding a baby boy, you were a little more rough and tumble. You kind of held it at a at a length a little bit, and you know talked kind of a little more deeper. And then if it was an infant that you thought was a female, you cooed and you gently nurtured, and you and the the observation of these behaviors in us as humans, it's so real and it's so tricky. And it's so deep because, I mean, imagine you're thinking this is a newborn. Of course, you're going to be tender to it regardless. That is fascinating. Yeah. I know that in your work, you talk a lot about dealing with our thoughts. And this is one of my like favorite areas to delve into because I think so often it's almost, this is going to sound weird, but it almost feels like our thoughts are thinking us or like we're so stuck to them that like, like I'm stuck to this pen, I cannot let go of it. This is my thought and we are one. Can you talk a little bit about dealing with our thoughts, making sense of our thoughts? Can we really change our thoughts and what role this plays in our mental well-being? I will tell you the, and this may burst a lot of people's bubble, you cannot control the thought as far as it's showing up. So it's that person that knocks on the door that you didn't invite but you couldn't have controlled them showing up. The control piece comes, and, and control is a tricky word for some people. It's more about deciding if that thought belongs in your space. And you have a very short period of time to replace that thought before another like thought comes in. So if I'm sitting there and I say, oh, my hair, it just doesn't look good today. If I don't quickly go, you know what, my hair is great. And if I want to, I can put a hat on and right, changing that, 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 inertia of that type of thought then another one will come in oh my nose looks funny and oh I'm, oh I'm wearing that shirt oh right then it will waterfall if we don't stop the flow so um the control we have is saying knowing ahead of time do kind thoughts belong in my space toward myself or not yes. and and <laughs> and right because if they belong and they show up great they get to stay if an unkind thought comes in and we bring it on in and set it on the couch and give it coffee and cake and entertain it, all its friends are going to show up knowing that they're welcome. So it's, it's more about, and it takes a lot. It really does because the brain scans for negative in order to protect. It thinks it's helping. It's such a lovely mechanism in our mind and body and spirit because of the old lizard brain, the amygdala. We've got to be able to get ready to fight that bear if it shows up. 
So it will remind you of all the things that you've done wrong so that you don't do them again. It will remind you of all the dangerous relationships, moments, whatever. It will, it will bring all of those things into play to protect. So it's our job to say thank you. Thank you for protecting me. Please embrace it because if you fight it, it's just going to fight back. Thank you for protecting me. I don't need to think that way right now. I don't need to behave that way any longer. It served me at one point in my life, but perhaps not now. And that's a lot of internal checking with ourselves to say, you know, I was the kid that made sure everybody was okay at home so that somebody didn't get angry and beat someone up, but I'm an adult and I don't have to do that any longer. Right. But the thought that comes in saying, you've got to pay attention. You've got to be on alert. Yeah. It's a dog on a leash. It will either lead us or we lead it. Oh, it's so powerful. And the idea of it coming in with all its friends, but how do we, how do we catch this and how do we like either backpedal it like, okay, thank you, but you're not coming in for coffee. Yeah. And, and how do we know? It really, it's the, it's the heavy lifting on the front end. So like when we, when parents have new kids and we say, you know, the first three years, you're not going to sleep or the first four years, you're going to right you're going to do all the heavy lifting so that by the time they're teenagers, everything is in play. There's no surprises. They know what to expect. You know what to expect of them kind of a thing. So the same with, with our mind, setting a GPS setting for ourselves of what we want our life to look like. We're going to know if we go off route and we're going to know how to reroute. So a vision board or a, a piece of paper every day that you're writing three things down around who you want to be that day, or there's a lot of ways to do it. And it's different for everyone, what works well, but when you know what belongs, you're going to notice if something shows up and it doesn't belong, yeah. but we don't know what we don't know. Well, right. It makes me think of setting intentions, but it also makes me think of like, it requires attention like, so if you're going to be so distracted all day, you know, going from like appointment to appointment and then between appointments, you're on your phone and you're not. And then, I mean, is that possible? Like thoughts could be in there running around and running amok, but we're mm -hmm. not really noticing because I'm like playing some game on my phone or something like that. And they could still be doing some damage. They could. And I, I like that word you used attention. Just it's being mindful. It's being aware, right? I have, when have I... So I, I started a meditation practice. I've always sort of been in prayer and meditation and different things like that through my life, but I started a more serious one recently. And one of the components is, when did you go unconscious today? And when were you conscious? And that unconscious is when those thoughts come in or when we start to speak poorly to self or others, or I eat that whole bag of chips instead of just a bowl or, right? So it's that, Am I conscious? Am I unconscious? No matter what I'm doing. As the more I learn and the more I have traveled this journey myself is the more I think that mindfulness is like the thing. It is the thing because our minds are always with us and they could be, we could be working together or we could be going <laughs> divergent directions and you have to notice, you have to notice, or you're like, like you said, like a, a dog on a leash, you're being led and you're like, how'd I end up over here? Exactly. And for listeners to know, mindfulness isn't always about emptying your mind. So for those who have struggled with anxiety, my clients, I will not ask them to do a mind emptying meditation. It's cruel and unusual because the mind is always scanning. That's what brings up the anxiety oftentimes. 
pick a meditation or pick a quietness or pick a thoughtful way of being that works for you that's manageable and sustainable, right? Set yourself up for success. So in the example of, of meditating in a mindful way that's not emptying your mind, take an object um, like a, a coffee mug full of a warm tea or coffee and just concentrate on how that warmth feels and feel the mug and wonder, I wonder what it was like for the person who made this mug homemade handmade items are so wonderful to have for this because you can think about the journey of the piece of clay to the potter to the kiln to the right and you can right. just waterfall think that way in a way that serves you and the mind has spent all that time being there with you and not distracting you and not fussing at you because you've worked in tandem in the thoughts it's such an excellent point. And it reminds me of this analogy that I heard, which is the mind makes thoughts like the mouth makes saliva. Like you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. So you want to work with it. It's such an important point because I think a lot of people get turned off of meditation because they're like, I can't turn off my thoughts. It's like, well, uh, yeah, I mean, nobody can really. And I had to confess to, so my husband's getting curious about mindfulness. I had to confess to him yesterday that like, sometimes when I'm doing my meditation, I'm thinking about posting on Instagram. Like, it's so lame, but I'm like, oh, this would be cute. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm meditating. I'm not thinking about Instagram. Like I'm, but noticing my thought, that's what my thought is doing now. Can I, so I like to meditate lying on my back. Can I feel myself on the floor? Can I feel the floor supporting me? Can I feel the contact that my hips and, and shoulders are making with the floor? And I think we overcomplicate it. Like we're supposed to be Zen and we're supposed to be like, oh, nothing bothers me. I'm up in the clouds. But it, that is not the reality. It's not. It's not because that's when the bear would have shown up and killed us. Right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> yes. And that does bring up a whole nother tangent, which I won't go down, which is the biological imperative of sleep. Like, why do we sleep? I've been doing a lot of research in this um, for school. And why do we sleep when we could get eaten by a bear? But That'll be for another time. Another <laughs> I thing that I, I wanted to ask you about is you have this premise in your work of the wellness mindset. Can you talk about what that is and how we can begin to develop it? Again, it will be different for each person, but the overall idea around mind, body, and spirit, we are connected. You can't separate it out. So if my body is well, my mind is less likely to be triggering things that feel like anxiety. So if you think about when you've, you start to come down with a flu or a cold, you, you sort of become alert to your body and it doesn't feel right and you don't feel right and you don't necessarily act right. Or hormones, I'm sorry, hello, welcome to um, my menopausal world. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> there are days when I go, wow, I could have ripped that person's head off, thrown it in the street and not cared and that's not who I am. But my wellness before that, would have impacted how loud that got. So if I'm taking care of myself and something comes in and bumps up against my value system or my sense of well-being, I can tend to it differently because I have hydrated, I have nutrified, I have spent time taking care of me first. I have um, tended to the things that do distress me, right? Distress and stress don't have to be negative. They can be motivating and they can be the things we need to get to the next. So if I never, if I'm, if I have a test to study for and I'm anxious about it, that use that. So I actually go study. Right. Right. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question well, but the wellness of, of, of your mind, body, and spirit. So spirit being, and this is another thing a lot of people get confused about 
not religion per se, because those are man-made edicts and, and ways of acting out our faith, but spirituality being what is that thing outside of myself that I believe in, that I have faith in, that guides me, carries me, and informs me how my mind and body are doing, yeah. right? So that having that, whatever that is for you, super important. Such an important distinction too, that it doesn't have to do with it like a dogmatic approach. This is, you know, we could be like, for me, spirituality for me comes a lot from nature, from my connection to other beings, you know, to like to my people and my pets and, and not religion. So, yeah. and we're not doing it wrong if that's the way we experience our spirituality. And you're not doing it wrong if you experience it through religion or through church or through singing in the choir or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. mm, absolutely. And so again, this is very custom. We get caught up in the idea of, well, this is how this person's doing it and they're doing it this way and they've got this full life and I don't, I'm doing it that way. All right, well, maybe you need to do it a different way. And allow yourself the grace of experimentation and discovery. Yeah. I think a lot of times too, by the time we get on this path, we're like, I need something that's going to work right away, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need to feel better tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you know what? Get some good rest, yes. hydrate, nutrify well, go out and touch nature, feel the wind in your face, feel the sun on your face. Those are quick fixes. We're looking for the quick fix. There really are some doing it consistently builds stamina emotionally, spiritually, physically. And we do overcomplicate the, the mindful way of being, but just going outside and going, that tree is gorgeous. That's mindful. Your body just calmed down. Your blood, your blood pressure just went down. Your heart rate regulated. Your breathing slowed. That is a quick fix. Right, right. Yeah, we overcomplicate it. Like, well, this is going to require like a 12-week program and, you know, some expensive vitamins and like. Yeah. Yeah, and just reminding ourselves that there are things that we can access in the moment. Right, right. Even, even if in a moment of feeling anxious, drinking a glass of water, it tells that fight or flight system you're okay because when the fight or flight is on, it can't pay attention to hunger or, or anything else. It's not rational because it's about survival. But the only way that the parasympathetic system can come in and alleviate that distress is to know you're okay. So if I stop and take a sip of water, well, someone being chased by a bear is not going to stop and take a sip of water. So I've just messaged myself with that sip of water. I'm okay. Oh, that's so powerful. I always turn to the long exhale, but sip of water is like even easier sometimes. Like just take a sip of water. Yeah. Well, the Red Cross, when they come to help in a crisis, a blanket, a water, a sandwich, a hug. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like the basics. Yes. We overcomplicate it. It doesn't have to be that hard, but I think maybe too, we get so wound up that we're like, well, this is a complex issue. I need, you know, a multi-layered solution. And maybe you do, but it's not as, it's not as uh, complicated as we think. Hmm. Get the quick fix in play and then you can work out the bigger pieces of the puzzle more calmly, rationally, productively. Now, I want to ask you about creating you. Can you talk about your podcast, what led you to begin this journey and what can listeners discover there? That is fun because that was first going to be called by the flowers, just by the flowers, because I wanted people to start self-care, self-compassion, go out and buy the flowers. And then I changed it to let's do the daily differently. And it was just the, the small things. 
And then it changed over to templates for life because I was just going to get it more organized for everyone. And what I realized was it's, it's all about creating your personhood, your professional, your physical space. All of those things were playing into everything I was sharing. I was like, okay, well, this is just creating you. Let's just simplify this, right? Again, I was overcomplicating myself in my journey. Um, I took a little free workshop on podcasting for fun because I was bored. Then it turned into a course and met some amazing people like yourself. And I love meeting interesting people. I love meeting people. I love hearing their story and their journey and how they create their best selves, lives, journeys. And that's that, that's been what my guests have been sharing and who they are and what they do and what brings them joy. And, and some of the answers to those questions are so simple. Like um, I had the, the um, bearded boomer on and he just dances and does things online. And his favorite thing every day is a peanut butter and jelly toast. And it's like, that doesn't get more simple than that, right? So the, I want to bring that into play for people to know, yep, even, even that person and that person has the same struggle possibly. And here's some things they do with it. It's so. so empowering and enlightening because you get to see, your listeners get to, to see here all the different roots. There's not only one way. Happiness looks different for each of us. Creating our lives looks different for each of us. But it does take the boldness of being willing to like, I mean, not that it's so bold to make a peanut butter toast, but you know what I mean? It, it takes the bold, I guess the bold part is recognizing that like, I, I deserve this and I'm going to. I'm going to take this step. Like if I need to take a walk every day, I deserve it. It's delightful for me. And it helps me create the me I want to be. Yeah. Right. And tending to it each day in, in whatever ways that are helpful. And I look back now and I, I am in, I'm always in awe when I sit with a guest, but I'm really in awe now a year out. Like they blessed my listeners and me by sitting and having these conversations. And if we were all doing that more often with one another in our daily lives, we would have deeper connections with each other and ourselves. And we'd feel so much less alone. I mean, I know that when I was going through my depression and anxiety at its, at its apex, I just felt like everybody has it together except me. Mm -hmm. And this is such a struggle for me, but everybody else is super awesome. And like, that's actually not true. Like the human condition is one of quite a bit of struggle and navigation and finding our way. And, and I agree with you. I mean, that's part of the reason why I want to have these conversations. And it's such a gift. It's such a gift to be able to just invite somebody to be like, Hey, do you want to talk about like the deepest things in life with me for half an hour? You know, it's awesome. But I agree with you. We would feel less alone. And I hope listeners feel less alone when they listen to your podcast, when they listen to this one, like, we're all, we're all on this journey. And what is it that Ram Dass says? We're all just walking each other home, you know? Yeah. Yes. I love that. Yes. Maria Shriver does a really good job about highlighting that the struggle is real for all of us. Right. And then what does it look like to come to the other side of that? And it, and, and continually the messaging is who are you connected to? And are you connected to yourself? And what does that even mean to you? Well, that's a perfect transition for my final question for you, which is what does inner peace look like for you? You know, this is inner peace to go. What brings you inner peace? What are your practices? What does it look like for you? I am unapologetically obnoxious around people that I am in, in love with and love me. 
my poor brothers, they they still see me as the eight-year-old pesky sister who's just, you know, I'm like, dudes, I'm a grown-up. I'm chill. What do you, um, being with friends and family, absolutely. I am an introverted extrovert, so I can do the extroverted thing, but if I'm exhausted emotionally or spiritually, even from the get-together or whatever, I need time for myself. And I'm really, really clear on knowing when that's avoidant behavior or when it's restorative behavior. So I think my inner peace is based on really just asking myself clarifying questions. All right, you've been sitting on this couch, reading this book for four hours. Is there something else you could be doing? Nope, I'm avoiding the world because I'm not in the mood. Okay, however, right, is that going to serve me over here? So I, I'm just always checking. Why did I say that? Why did I, not in a questioning, judging way, in a clarifying, questioning way. I make myself understand what I'm up to. It's a self-loving way. Like, <clears throat> I want you to to feel good. Yes. Yeah. Compassionate toward myself because I hope that so much for others. So, um, yeah, I love uh, being outside. I love being around my house and just enjoying the blessings of the nature around me. Um, yeah, I don't think I think about it as much as I used to because it's just kind of automatic. Well, that's an important point too, though, because like, I think when we're coming from like the frenzied mindset that it feels like, oh, this is going to be so hard to put into place and I'm never going to be able to do it. And like, who has the time, blah, blah, blah. And then before you know it, if you do take a five minute walk every morning, or if you do, you know, sit and look at a candle for a couple minutes in the morning or whenever you do it, like before long, it just becomes its own practice and you don't have to think about it. And it's giving you that juice. I know that's been my experience. I couldn't have, I always wanted to have a morning routine. Like I always would read about it in magazines and be like, oh, people who have a morning routine are so together. And I'm like, I felt like I'll never be that together. And now I have a morning routine. It's simple. It's not a whole big thing. It doesn't involve a big workout or anything, but it just is like having a little quiet moment to myself, writing in a journal for a little bit while I have my coffee. And boy, does that do so much. It does so much. And, and like you said, then you don't have to think about it. It's just something I do. Yes. Yes. And to share that with others so that they can see that it matters and that maybe they could do that for themselves. And it doesn't have to start at 4.30 in the morning. Oh, my God, no. Oh, Lordy, no. Mine does not. Mine does not. And and actually, when I first tried to build a morning routine, I did try to be like, oh, and then I'll have a workout and I'll have a shower and I'll have like all this stuff. That is, I would have to wake up way too early for that. So if I have just like 20 minutes, I can get like a little meditation, a little bit of journaling with coffee. That's enough. You know, that's enough. That's what I had this morning. And I, you know, it's, it's just, it's so interesting. Again, I think maybe the theme here is that we overcomplicate, we overcomplicate things because we're so, this is me projecting because we're so desperate for like ease and that you don't have to be perfect at it. So I, at a time I was doing, um, hot yoga and I went in and I, and I just did it. And I didn't overthink it. It was, it was for me, it was a time to reconnect with my body in a way that I hadn't and it was really just about me doing that. So I'm just using this as an example. And people around me are like, wow, you're really good at this. And I'm thinking, this isn't about being good at it. And that is actually the antithesis of yoga because it's only you and your body. And every day is different, right? So then I thought, oh, shoot, now I have to go and be good at this? It ruined it for me, right? Until I got back in my own head and took care of myself. But you don't have to have this, look at that I did my journal entry and I sat in the lotus position and I right ah oh, dudes you can just 
do it and it's messy. It's done. Okay. You took time for yourself. That's what matters. That's what matters. Nobody knows I do this. I mean, now I just talked about it here, but you know what I mean? Like the only person who sees me do it is my husband. And it's just like my little thing. And if I don't do it, it's like, I'm not in trouble or (laughs) I'm not deficient. Yeah. It's, it's maybe it's about giving ourselves and whoever's listening permission to be imperfectly you to tend to yourself however that however seems like the good idea at the time right and you said it before giving yourself grace that's such a again these sentences these catchphrases that people it's becoming white noise it's still so very true it's been the message for millions of years giving yourself grace allows you to give others grace all of the mindful behaviors and tending to ourselves isn't meant to be self-centered and and not caring about others it's so you can care about others if i've had a good day someone paid my toll in front of me i'm probably going to pay for the person behind me it's the ripple effect is immense and when you're feeling easy with yourself like i know for myself if i'm feeling easy with myself it's easy for me to like chat up the cashier at the grocery store or say hello to somebody who i pass on the street whereas if i'm feeling like grumpy and like wound up and tight i'm not even seeing them i used to not even be able to notice the trees on my block which are like awesome because I'd be just so like, oh, things are happening inside my head, you know? So that ease, it, it definitely is for others. It's for anyone you come in contact with, and I mean, and yourself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, Heather, this is such a gift. Thank you so much for being here today. Can you please let listeners know where they can find you, where they can see your brilliant uh, East Coast walks on Instagram? Tell us all the things. Oh, you're so cute. So it's creating underscore underscore you. And I know you're not supposed to use two underscores, but just let me be. I'm fine. And on Instagram. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, that's the easiest way to reach me. You can DM me or anything like that. But the podcast is creating you and anywhere you listen to podcasts, I'm published. So thank you, CND, for this. How amazing to uh, fill part of my day with another layer of connection to someone and to myself sitting here talking. I don't, I'm usually the listener. So this is fun. Thank oh, you. this is so delightful. Thank you. I'll put the links in the show notes to everything. And thank you again for being here. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Heather. You know, you heard me having so many aha moments because it just became so clear to me how easy it is to overcomplicate this wellness journey and to overcomplicate what might actually help us when we're feeling stressed out. We think we need to like quit our job or get divorced when something as simple and accessible as taking a sip of water or getting a good night's sleep would give us the kind of grounding and mindset reset that we really need. So that's a big takeaway for me here that we overcomplicate things and sometimes the simple things can make a really big difference. The other takeaways are to remember to set an intention, what Heather calls a GPS setting for what we want our lives to look like. That that not only gives us a path the way a GPS does, but it makes it a lot easier to recognize when we're off track and get ourselves back on course. Remember to practice noticing your thoughts so you can avoid that waterfall of negativity. You can thank your unwelcome thoughts for trying to protect you And then remind yourself that you can choose which thoughts to embrace and which to let go of. And finally, remember those quick fixes. Take a sip of water. Go outside for a minute. Eat a healthy meal. 
get a good night's sleep. And don't forget the power of just taking a few deep breaths. These things seem so simple, but they can make a huge difference in our mood and our outlook. And they can provide us with that perspective reset that we need to approach the next thing more thoughtfully, more grounded, and with a little more inner peace. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so grateful to be here with you and for your time and attention. Thank you so much. Please reach out to me if you want to talk about this episode or anything else. If you're interested in coaching, I'd love to connect with you and I will talk to you again next week. Hey, if you want to keep the peaceful vibes going, get on my email list. I'd love to send you my free ebook, The Ultimate Stress Busters Guide, packed with actionable steps to bring on the chill. Plus, I'll send you more tips and inspiration every week. There's a link in the show notes, and I'll see you in your inbox.